for leading us in worship this morning. According to John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. Now, he didn't take the time to elaborate on the kind of trouble they might have, but it's not hard for us to imagine, is it? This world provides a smorgasbord of trouble. The Apostle Paul submitted a list of the troubles he experienced in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I have served him, he writes, meaning I have served Jesus far more. I have worked harder, been in prison more often, been whipped times without a number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and in the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Wow, what a list of troubles. In this world, you will have trouble. It's inescapable. We all experience our fair share of trouble. Granted, some more than others. But in this world, we will have trouble, whether it's financial pressures, unemployment, health challenges, relational conflict, rebellious children or meddling parents, nosy or nasty neighbors, accidents, or victims of premeditated attacks, prejudices, bullying, intolerances personal attacks on your character, or maybe even your faith, depression, anxiety, troubles from within and troubles from without. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, as Jesus did. He did not have some kind of immunity idol to steal that concept from that popular TV show, Survivor. He, too, experienced trouble. The passage that we want to look at this morning, we find Jesus himself facing trouble. One of those inescapable, unavoidable, familiar realities of life. The death of a friend. Turn with me once again to the Apostle John's biographical account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. John chapter 11, to be specific. Here in John chapter 11, 
we find Jesus preparing for the death of a friend. And on this occasion, his preparations create some faith builders. As a result, our faith, your faith, and my faith can be strengthened, can grow, as we considered how Jesus prepared for the death of his friend. Four responses can grow our faith. Life's troubles can become faith builders. Please stand with me as we read this passage of scripture from John chapter 11 this morning. Beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, he, he pitched his tent in our backyard. Amazing. God dressed in human flesh, fully God and yet fully man. And now we have this inspired word that we can hold in our hands 
and hear and read and study and memorize and meditate on, knowing that faith comes by hearing and hearing by this word of God. Father, enable us to hear it with receptive ears, attentive ears, to what you have to say to us this morning through this episode in the life and ministry of Jesus as recorded here in John chapter 11. Teach us, reprove us, correct us, and train us in righteousness so that we might be adequate, equipped for every good work. By your power and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' preparations for the death of a friend created faith builders. With over 30 years of pastoral experience in my rearview mirror, I have had the privilege of officiating at not just a few funeral services. And many times during those funeral services, I refer to Helen Keller's quote that goes something like this. With the death of every friend I love, a part of me has been buried with them. But their contribution to my being of happiness, strength, and understanding remains to sustain me in an altered world. For family members and close friends, the death of a loved one is often a world-altering event. Jesus is now back in the place where his ministry all began. Remember how John chapter 10 ends? The Jews had tried to seize him with harmful intentions in mind. Jesus eluded their grasp, we're told, in verse 39. In other words, he escaped. In verse 40, we're informed that he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John, that's John the Baptist, was first baptizing, and he was staying there. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 28, the location of John the Baptist's ministry is referred to as Bethany, beyond the Jordan. That's where Jesus was when he first learned of his friend's sickness and imminent death. His friend is identified as Lazarus of Bethany. We know that this Bethany was on this side of the Jordan, in fact, the east side of the Mount of Olives, about two miles from the city of Jerusalem. Look at verse 18 of John chapter 11. So clearly, there are two Bethanies in this story. This one just east of Jerusalem, and then another Bethany on the other side of the Jordan River. We don't know the exact location of that other Bethany. Some say it's about 150 miles to the northeast, 
the city of Jerusalem in the province of Perea. Others say it's much closer than that. But still on the other side of the Jordan River. The bottom line is we don't know the exact location. But what we do know is that this Bethany on the other side of the Jordan must have been at least a two-day trip from the Bethany that is on the east side of the Mount of Olives, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. Why do I say that? Because Jesus receives the message from Mary and Martha. That's day one. He spends two days waiting and then returns to Bethany where he is informed that Lazarus has now been dead for four days. So if Lazarus died shortly after Jesus received the message, then Bethany beyond the Jordan is at least a day's travel, a day's journey from this Bethany that's on the east side of the Mount of Olives, two miles from the city of Jerusalem. Did you notice the content of Martha's and Mary's message that they sent to Jesus? Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. That's it. Informative, but certainly does not communicate any instructions, no manipulation, no expectations are mentioned or demands. How unlike my earnest pleads when I find myself in the midst of one of life's troubles. It's a long weekend in July. I received a telephone call and I, I answered it in our kitchen, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, as I usually do. George speaking. The only thing I heard was George in a, a raspy, strained voice that was unrecognizable. So I waited, hoping to somehow get another clue as to who it might be on the other end of the line. We need another miracle. That was the way my father referred to my recovery from a surgery on a tumor that was located on my acoustic nerves, so it was a brain surgery, about seven or eight hours, eight years earlier. And then he continued. It's amazing what goes through your mind when you get a phone call like that. George, and then all the scenarios, we need a miracle, all those scenarios go through your mind. What he said next, I would have never imagined. Your mother is really sick. I can't recall my mother ever being sick. But she actually died just eight weeks later at the age of 59. And in those eight weeks, my prayers were unrelenting. 
And I must confess, not once, I didn't even, the thought didn't even cross my mind, but not once did I pray, Lord, behold, she whom you love is sick. I was pleading, begging for another miracle. Mary and Martha's message was an expression of trust. Their faith in their friend Jesus. They were prepared to leave his response in his hands. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how did Jesus respond? Jesus' initial response created a faith builder. A faith builder by offering a promising perspective. Look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. But we know the rest of the story. Lazarus, in fact, died. So what is Jesus saying here in verse 4? Lazarus' death would not be the end of the story. Jesus, God dressed in human flesh, saw things differently. This sickness was a sickness to the glory of God and the Son of God. Not just in the sense of winning the, the praises of men. Not just in that sense. But in the sense that it would become a divine revelation. Lazarus's illness would become an occasion when both God and the Son of God would be revealed for who they really are. A promising perspective. Mary and Martha, the messenger, Jesus' disciples, were all viewing it as a sickness unto death. Unless, of course, Jesus intervened with another miraculous healing, which I suppose that they were assuming that he would do. After all, he whom you love is sick. Instead, Jesus offers a promising perspective. This is not a sickness unto death. This is a sickness to the glory of God. And that, my friends, is a faith builder. In this life, Lazarus, friends, and associates, those who loved him were having trouble. And Jesus shared a different, a promising perspective. You see, God may see things differently than we see them. Remember when God sent that Old Testament prophet Samuel to anoint King Saul's replacement? Samuel finds himself at the house of Jesse, a man with eight sons. Samuel was immediately impressed with Jesse's firstborn. 
But God interrupted the selection process with these words recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Eventually, one of Israel's greatest kings were, was selected, Jesse's son, King David. So in comparison to God, you and I are visually impaired. Our perspectives have physical limitations, time limitations. We are limited by subjectivity. As a result, we find ourselves facing life's troubles. It's, it's easy to get trapped in one of those why roundabouts. Why? Why me? Why did you allow this to happen? Why now? Why not him or her? God invites us. He's inviting us to see things as he sees them. Life's troubles can become faith builders. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus created a faith builder by offering an enduring love. That's a really important preface to this next section. Because look what happens next in verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What happens next is absolutely nothing. Verse 5 was clearly the Apostle John's preemptive statement. The Apostle does not want us to start questioning Jesus' love for these friends from Bethany in light of his delayed departure. You know, sometimes when God doesn't come through for us the way that we expect he, he should or, or would or, or, or according to the to our timetable, it's easy to start questioning his love. God, if you really love me. And think about it. All Jesus had to do was say the word. Remember the nobleman who came to, to him and while well, he was in Cana of Galilee? Is imploring him, begging him to heal his sick son. Jesus just spoke the words. Your son lives. And he healed him remotely, from a distance, without ever traveling to Capernaum. As that nobleman left and was making his way home, his servants met him on the way. And told him that his son lives. 
And as he investigated further, he realized that his, the son's fever had broke the same moment that Jesus had said, your son lives. Geographic separation was not an obstacle or a deterrent to Jesus' healing capabilities. And so, as we turn back to John chapter 11 and find Jesus expressing his love with a delayed departure, that, my friends, that's a faith builder. Two days later, Jesus announces his plan to return to the province of Judea. Look at verse 7 to 10. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus' disciples were not in favor of this planned return to the, the province of Judea. In their minds, Jesus had been fortunate to escape from these Jews who were planning to kill him, stones in hand, the last time in John chapter 10, verse 31. Now, in this remote location, on the other side of the Jordan River, they've found it to be much more relaxing and friendly. In fact, they were seeing some great ministry results. John chapter 10, verse 42 reads, Many believed in him there. So why risk returning to the province of Judea? But Jesus defended his planned departure. His defense had both an obvious and then a more subtle meaning. Interesting. His initial delayed departure now becomes a defended departure. The obvious meaning of Jesus' defense related to timing. Walking in daylight versus walking in night. Obviously, it's easier to stumble and fall, hurt ourselves when we're walking around in the dark. For Jesus, walking in the light meant being in lockstep with his Father. Remember what he had said back in John chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. His departure was a matter of God's timing, the Father's timing. John chapter 6, verse 38 for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8, 28. I do nothing of my own initiative. John 14, 10. 
The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, he is working. For Jesus, walking in the light meant fulfilling the Father's plans and purposes according to his timetable. He was committed to walking in that light. But walking in the light, walking in the darkness, also has some spiritual implications. The Apostle John wrote in the preface to this biographical account of the life and ministry of Jesus, chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It was reference of Jesus' arrival on planet Earth as God's revelation. The light entering a dark world. Later in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus himself claimed, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Apostle John wrote these words in his epistle. This is the message we have heard from him and announce to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light spiritually refers to living in a way that pleases God, a life of obedience. So Jesus was, rep was prepared to return to this Judean Bethany in spite of life-threatening circumstances as an expression of his love for his friends and in obedience to the Father. Now the scriptures teach that God has our days numbered. He has determined the length of our years. And Jesus knew that. And so by implication, he knew that these Jews, there's no way that they could shorten his life. Nor could his disciples, as well-intentioned, Loving and loyal, neither could they lengthen the years of his life. So Jesus was prepared to leave a fruitful ministry behind and enter into life-threatening circumstances that were promising to glorify both God and the Son of God. Jesus' expression of love was first a delayed departure and then a defended departure. Both created faith builders. You see, God may express his love differently than we do. But his love continues, regardless of how we may feel in the midst of our troubles those troubles that life is promising 
to deliver. And I'm not suggesting that those kind of divine delays are, are easy. Whether it be two days or two minutes, two weeks, two months, two years, two decades. Divine delays can erode our faith. They threaten to undermine our beliefs. I get that. Or they can become faith builders. One of my undergraduate Bible college profs would warn us. He would say there are times when you'll come to the end of the rope. When all you can do is tie a knot and hang on for dear life. We will all find ourselves at the end of that proverbial rope at one time or another. And it's not if, but it's when. In this life, you and I will have trouble. Sooner or later, and listen, some of you sitting here this morning may be there right now. Hanging on for dear life. Regardless of how you might feel or how you might want to interpret your present troubles, hear God's word to you through the prophet Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Tie the knot with Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And hang on for dear life. Jesus wants this time of trouble to become a faith builder in your life. Or maybe it's Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God loves you. And he loves me. In spite of how we may be tempted, to interpret our present circumstances. God invites us to see, to see those times of trouble as he sees them. And he invites us to tie a knot and hang on to his continuing love that will never cease and never fails. Life's troubles, they can become faith builders. Look at verse 11. This he said, and then after that he said to them, 
Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. One of the commentators I read this past week prompted me to write this note in my notes. God does not offer a pampering love, but a perfecting love. God does not offer a pampering love, but a perfecting love. Jesus is not interested in bubble wrapping his disciples, trying to protect them from the realities of these troubles that life offers. Jesus created a faith builder by offering a challenging reality. Max Dupree in his book, Leadership as an Art, wrote, the first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. The last is to say thank you, and in between the two, you are both debtor and servant. It's not uncommon in New Testament times for people to speak of death as falling asleep. This is not, I want to make clear here, this is not a reference that we turn to to support the idea of soul sleep. There is no such thing. When a believer dies, he goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Listen to the Apostle Paul. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. The thief dying on the cross beside Jesus hears this promise from the Lord himself. Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Death for the believer means to be at home with the Lord. But once again, we find his disciples being slow to grasp the realities of which Jesus was speaking. And finally, in verse 14, Jesus just defines reality for them. Lazarus is dead. He's not getting better. He stopped breathing. Here we catch another glimpse of Jesus displaying his divine omniscience. He knew that Lazarus was dead in the same way that he knew what was in man's heart in John chapter 2. And as a result, in spite of their claim to be believers, he was not entrusting himself to them. He knew in the same way that he knew all about that Samaritan woman's life in John chapter 4. In her own words, she confessed, Come, see a man who told me 
all things that I have done. John chapter 4, verse 29. Lazarus is dead. Jesus knew it. And can you imagine the confusion that that announcement must have caused in his disciples' minds? Wait a minute. What What did you just say? This sickness is not to end in death. And then what about Mary and Martha and family friends as they gathered and put Lazarus' lifeless body in its final resting place? Committed it to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That, my friends, is a faith builder. God may operate differently than we do. Through the prophet Isaiah, God declared, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, your, nor, nor are your ways my ways. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. But God still invites us to see times of trouble as he sees them, to hang on to his enduring, unfailing love, and to trust him even when life does not make sense. Life's troubles, they can become faith builders. Look at verse 16. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's also go so that we may die with him. Jesus created a faith builder by offering an inspiring example. What do you know about Thomas? He's famous. Doubting Thomas, right? But wait a minute. And this is not a throwaway verse here, by the way. It would be easy just to kind of breeze past it. It's actually attached to what Jesus has just said previously. Because you notice how it starts? Therefore. Because of what Jesus said, therefore. And Thomas puts on quite a display of courage and resolve. Uh, Granted, we know the rest of the story, so when push comes to shove, he fled with the rest. But at least his intentions were there. You know, it's amazing to me that Thomas would make such a strong statement in support of Jesus. Let us also go that we may die with him. You know, God may lead differently than we do. A couple of verses that come to mind regarding God's leadership in our lives, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus was calling his disciples, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. The next one that comes to mind is one of my favorite verses, and probably a life verse for me. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said to them all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. That's surrender. Surrendering the leadership of your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Taking up your cross daily, that's living a life of sacrifice. Going to give up your wants, your desires for other people. And it's not just today and tomorrow, this week or next week, but it's daily. And then follow him. We all know where that led to. To a cross, right? A life of service. That's the life we're, we're called to. Let me conclude with just four implications from this message. And this is really a review because I've mentioned them as we've gone along. Four things as we make our way through these passages. Life's troubles can become faith builders. Number one, God invites us to see things or troubles as he sees them. Number two, God invites us to hang on to his enduring and unfailing love. Number three, God invites us to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. And number four, God invites us to follow him regardless of the cost. Can I say that God just doesn't invite us? He enables us. He empowers us. Just as the, the Apostle Paul testified, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Don't get hung up on that all things. Paul's not saying that we can do everything we want or dream to do. But what he's saying is everything we attempt to do, we can do in the strength of the Lord. We look to him for strength to do all that we do. Whether the minuscule routine tasks of our daily lives or whether they be attempts to move mountains, we look to him for the strength to, to complete them. And he gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Life's troubles can become faith builders. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these invitations. Life indeed has its challenges, just as you promised it would. In this life, you will have trouble. Enable us to respond appropriately, to accept these invitations, and as a result, find our faith growing rather than eroding through tough times. For those who are in the midst of trouble right now, may they find the Rock Community Church to be a safe place where they can come and be spurred on in their walk with you. Father, we want to be found faithful. Make it so, we pray, by the power of your Spirit and for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.